Hello, everybody. This is David opposed to the Matrix. How are you this evening? Or, yeah, it's still evening, nighttime. Okay. Um, let's see. It's Sunday night. It is the uh, it's 12 12 2021. Hmm, lots of twos in there. Huh. Okay. I don't know what that means, anything, but it's just interesting. Um, I was going to do this show last night, but I was just really tired last night and needed to go to bed. Okay. We've had, um, I think, four consecutive days of nonstop rain here. <laughs> and I mean, you know, it might have stopped for five minutes or something, but in the scheme of things, that's nonstop. Okay. So anyway, I've got to learn to look up like this more, folks, because I uh, my camera is way up here. Dude, right there. And it uh, kind of looks down on me. So when I'm just looking at the mic or staring, it looks like I'm not looking at you or looking in the direction of the camera. Anyway, you're not really there right now unless you're watching live, which I eh, maybe some of you are. I don't know. But um, anyway, so tonight we're going to talk about wars and rumors of wars, the world coming apart at the seams. And wars and rumors of wars is just part of it. Okay. Um, I mean, you could take the COVID situation and make it into a war on humanity. Um, so that's another war. Okay. Um, there's an economic war going on along with the COVID war. And uh, where families are not working anymore. And they're in dire straits economically. There are... are more poor people living under the bridge up in Salem than ever before. And over in Eugene, as a matter of fact, um, places like Salem and Eugene and Portland all tell the uh, homeless that you're welcome here. And uh, I guess it's a nice gesture, but at the same time, it's not the, uh, not the people that have lost their jobs from COVID that are necessarily living under there, but, yeah, the people that have always been poor, and many of them poor on purpose because they like living that way. A lot of them are mentally ill. I've dealt with them. Um, I went to a church in Sacramento that had uh, basically most of the people there were um, old drug addicts, uh, reformed drug addicts, uh, alcoholics, and uh, and homeless. And there'd be people that would come to church for a little while, and it looked like they were getting straightened out, and they just couldn't handle living at wherever they were living. Sometimes people took them in and stuff, and and they, they went back to the bridge or down by the river again, and because uh, they they like that way, you know. And I can't really say I blame them. I don't agree with what they're doing, but I can't blame them, and I do feel sorry for them. <clears throat> but uh, in this day and age, when when our country has so many resources that people can use, um, I, I was. When I was married to my first wife, I went to uh, Carnesia. And if you don't know what that is, it's a, it's a meat market, basically. It was a deli and uh, in Sacramento. And I went there to buy Oaxaca cheese. And if you've never had Oaxaca cheese, you've got to have it. Okay. Um, if you like mozzarella, it's like mozzarella on steroids. It is the best cheese I have ever eaten in that cheese category. Okay. Um I don't want to turn this into a food show. I can do that real easy. Uh, you know, while I'm at it, I, I just wanted to plug a couple of places. 
Okay. There's a place down in um, Springfield we go to a lot. It's called the Busy Bee. Uh, excellent breakfast, excellent lunch, and the prices have not gone up very much with all the stuff that's going on. I mean, I got, uh, what was it? Um, chicken fried steak with eggs, gravy on everything, because that's the only way to eat that. And uh, some toast and some coffee. And I think uh, my part of the meal was ten ninety five, and my wife's was uh, uh, probably close to that, 9 or $10. And uh, anymore, if you go out to eat, it's like 30 bucks, 35 bucks. So um, we will be going to the Busy Bee. The food is out of this world. Muy buena. Okay. And, um, and the people that work, they're really nice. They, they're the salt of the earth. And, um, if you like bees, there's pictures of bees, there's little bee toys and everything all over the store. <laughs> it's pretty interesting actually. And, um, so anyway, I, I highly recommend that place. I really do. And another place I recommend is if you're ever in Cresswell, Oregon, which is South of Eugene, about 10 miles. Uh, there's a bakery there that is out of this world. Fresh bread, fresh sourdough, um, fresh rye. And they make sandwiches there. And they they have one thing. It's like a pretzel and it's got all different kinds of breakfast stuff in it. And uh, it, it's, oh, I'm getting hungry. Just thinking, I'm not going to rectify that with eating. But uh, anyway. So there's just a couple of places. And as I come along them, I'm going to, you know, plug them. I don't get anything for it. I don't want anything for it. Uh, they're just good places to eat with pleasant people. And uh, I like to plug things like that. Okay. All right. So wars and rumors of wars. Oh, wait a minute. First of all, <laughs> I got to tell you about something that happened the other day. Um, my grandson was involved in a, a debate. And my wife and I went. And uh, the kid rocked, man. He really did. He uh, he made a grandpa very proud. He, uh, it was all about civil disobedience. And uh, one side was with civil disobedience. Is it, uh, is it okay to use civil disobedience uh, to protest? And the other side was, um, you know, counter that. Uh, it's not okay. So each team had to play both parts, which was really neat, actually. But well, my grandson's team, they rocked. They really did. The first kid that was up there, it was like, the guy's lawyer material. And I'm not saying that in a bad way, but he really is. He, he'll go places, okay? Um, and the other kids that got up there, too, were par excellence, okay? But my grandson took the cake, man. He really did. Um, well, let's see. I got notes here. So one of the things that they didn't realize, talking about wars and rumors of wars, is that um, there's a, there's civil disobedience and then there's revolution or revolutionary tactics, okay? Um, Black Lives Matter, uh, all the other groups, Antifa, are really basically almost like paramilitary groups and they're, um, they're revolutionaries, okay? They don't want to protest to get one thing changed. They want to change the whole system. But um, anyway, my grandson, his part in this whole thing was uh, to prove that it was okay to be civilly disobedient. And 
man, I can't tell you how proud I was of that kid. It really was. Um, I was surprised because it was held up in Eugene. And if you know, I call it Eugene. They don't like that. Um, but if you know anything about Eugene, excuse me, you know that it's um, very liberal in, in a communistic sort of fashion, uh, place to live. And even the conservatives that live there don't know what true conservatism really is. They've been browbeats for so long and um, and uh, bowed their knee so long to the liberals that uh, they've actually become pseudo-liberals themselves. Um, but uh, one of the things that uh, <laughs> that my grandson picked up on, uh, which was really neat, is that, um, first of all, he quoted Thomas Jefferson. If you quote Thomas Jefferson, you can't go wrong when it comes to government, okay? Uh, the writer of the Constitution um, uh, spoke a lot in the uh, Articles of Confederacy, Articles of Confederation, excuse me, not Confederacy. Um, and one of the, the laws that the other side, or one of the quotes, because they were quoted, and Martin Luther King must have got quoted 15 times, and that's okay. Because um, he, you know, in reality, he, he did stand for something good. Um, although he was seen as a revolutionary, even a communist back in his day, he, he wasn't, I don't believe. And um, But the girl said that, she made this quote um, where it's wrong to be civilly disobedient. And one of the reasons is that you could upset the government and they would pay you back in retribution. And my grandson was like, that's exactly a point for civil disobedience. Because if a government does that, then a government is is bad. It's, it's a bad government. And, um, and I wanted to tell him so bad uh, before he went up there and I, it hit me afterwards. And I wanted to tell them that they should mention that Abraham Lincoln called this our republic uh, a government of the people, by the people, and for the people, which it was at one time, I do believe. Um, but it's not that anymore. The government has taken over, and they've replaced the government of the people, by the people, and for the people. Therefore, if the people are not the government, the people are uh, <clears throat> are under the government. And if they're under the government, it's no better than, than England was when it was over the colonies, you know, it's, um, can you imagine Thomas Jefferson's, uh, or Washington's or, or anybody, Thomas Paine, if somebody tried to stick a needle in their arms and said, you need to do this, um, that would have been another shot heard around the world. Um, for reasons I won't go into, he lost the debate. They lost the debate, his side. And I think a lot of it has to do with there's two kinds of debate. Okay. There is a civil debate where you just talk things over, mamby-pamby, and basically you agree to disagree. And then there's um, there's heated debate. Okay, if you've ever watched uh, Kent Holbein do his debates with uh, evolutionists, uh, sometimes those got heated. <laughs> really good. But um, even the Holbein kind of kept his, his, um, his way. You know, he was good. But... Um, so my grandson would have been really good in the kind of debate where, you know, you're, you're meant to prove without a doubt that the other side is wrong and do whatever you have to to prove it. Okay. Um, however, again, this was in Eugene. And this is a mamby-pamby um, 
debate where there's no rights and there's no wrongs. And I don't see how you could look, you could look at morality and, and, um, and government and the law without rights and wrongs. But uh, evidently, Eugene, I think you can. So anyway, um, you know, for my for my grandson, peace and a long and healthy life. And uh, go get him, kiddo. Okay. So wars and rumors of wars. So we're going to look at this. And wars and rumors of wars usually happen because people are amoral or... Um, ethically um ethnically no not ethnically um ethically retarded okay and when you're that way there was a and i wanted to tell my grandson this too that this was a really good quote he could have used when the people killing anne frank were disobeying the law the people that killed her were obeying the law. Okay, that's pretty heavy. That gives you something to think about and 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 realize, yeah, the law is not always right. And boy, we've seen that recently, right? Now, we can't really say that they're using laws against us with this COVID crap, but they're using mandates and making them sound like their law, which is deception and everything else. But um, anyway, so... Uh, there's something else to remember that just because the law is a law doesn't mean that it's it's uh, moral or ethical. It just means that the people in power have established it as a law. And uh, Nuremberg kind of cleaned that up, at least until the last, well, I don't know. It's It's been corrupt ever since Nuremberg, um, the trials and the Nuremberg codes have been put in. But um, at the same time, uh, things have gotten better in many areas, but there still have been little tests on people. Abortion's a good example right there. Abortion is a major violation of the Nuremberg Codes, especially because you're ending a life of a person that doesn't have any say in the matter. Gee, that sounds just like the Holocaust, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. So I had a, um, a vision a long time ago, and um, maybe it was more of a word of knowledge. And... It was for the people, uh, the women that have had abortions. And I can't, I can understand what could lead somebody to that. Okay. I know a lot of them use it for convenience it's, or it's their birth control, but a lot of them do it because they're confused. They don't know what to do. They've been kicked out of the house. They've been told by their parents, you're not going to raise this child here. And if you do, you're out of here. You know, there's a lot of factors that, that, that fill in. And thank God for the different organizations that help these young girls and, and women in general to to find solutions like adoption or or keeping the baby and, and moving in with a relative or something like that, you know. But um, anyway, in the vision, the Lord kind of told me that um, there's, there's going to be a cutoff in this, but um, I don't know when. But anybody that comes to him and, and repents of having killed their child, having murdered their child, will be forgiven and will receive their child back because all these babies go to heaven, of course. Um, and that's scriptural, okay? But um, but the ones that don't, you know, are, are, are in for uh, quite a ride, so to speak. Um, but I know that having talked with some women that have had abortions, I know that there's a lot of guilt there. And sometimes the guilt manifests as anger and hate towards people that 
um, speak out against abortion. But the ones that I talk to, or most of them, I should say, are are people that are really sorry for what they did, you know, and and repentful, okay? And they know that they took a life, but they feel that there's no way around it. There's that God will not forgive them. Well, that's a fallacy. Um, Don Francisco used to sing a song, Forgiven. No. I don't remember the name of the song, but part of the song said, there's no sin you can imagine that's stronger than my love. And that love was exhibited on a cross over 2,000 years ago. And the blood that was spilled can wash away your sins. So there is hope, ladies, if you're, if you're going through that. There is hope. So just remember that, okay? And you don't have to live with the guilt and the shame anymore, okay? Just come to Yahweh. Come to Yeshua. Confess your sin, what you did. Tell him you're sorry, that you want him to live in your heart, and, you're, and uh, that you surrender to him. Confess him with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised him from the grave. The Father raised him from the grave, and you're good, okay? And for, after that, boy, do you start growing. It's really neat. But uh, that's another show for another day. Okay, geez, I've been on for 17 minutes already and i haven't really got to what i wanted to get to okay we better get going here um all right so we're gonna i'm gonna be looking at articles and you're gonna look at them with me i've set the screens up that way and we're gonna be watching some videos that's going to explain some of the things that are going on around the world we're going to be talking about a lot about the chinese what they're doing around the world why they're expanding and how they're expanding and um talk a little bit about the russians Maybe a little bit about what's happening in Israel with their strife with um, uh, Iran. Um, and I think that's about it. But, um, well, maybe I forgot something and we're both in for a surprise. <laughs> okay. All right. So let's um, let's do this. Okay. Here I am in that small little picture. And uh, let's see. I'm going to go here. Okay. So this article is from republicworld.com. Got to give them credit for a good article. It was updated the 6th of December, 2021 at 11.57 IST. Maybe that's Israel Standard Time. I don't know. Um, no, India Standard Time because it says view in Hindi up here. Okay, good. We got that straight. Now, the China vying to set up military base on Africa's Atlantic coast reveals U.S. intel. Okay, Beijing's military has strategically taken its belt and road, the BNR project, and we'll talk about what, exactly what that is in a little while. Um, the project route all the way to Africa in, in course of U.S. military presence drawing down. Okay, approximately thousands of miles from its routine operational military bases in the Indo-Pacific, China's People's Liberation Army Navy, uh, Army Navy, or PLAN, intends to establish its first ever permanent military base underground, excuse me, underground the Atlantic Ocean in the African country of Equatorial Guinea. Classified American intelligence reports have found outlining uh, details of its secret findings reported Wall Street Journal. China has also been in discussion with, the, with Tanzania, for the establishment of its first naval base in the far opposite east, east coast of the uh, to the united states 
to expand its military might in the Horn of Africa, sparkling or sparking security threat concerns with the U.S. Navy and Pentagon. China's overseas military base in the African in the African nation, if granted permission, will be second to will be second to a $590 million facility in Djibouti, which gives the Chinese People Liberation Army strategic access in the Gulf of Aden and the Suez and the Suez Canal. China's naval base on Africa's Atlantic coast concerns me greatly, the top commander of the U.S. African Command, AFRICOM, uh, Steve, uh, General Stephen Townsend, had, said, had earlier said in an interview with the Associated Press, adding, that suspected massive Chinese Navy port will be capable of hosting submarines or aircraft carriers on Africa's western coast, giving the communist regime military an upper edge. Hmm. Okay. Subtitle, Beijing's debt, debt Trap Democracy, Africa Peacekeeping Missions Efforts, a Way to Bolster Military Presence. China has approached several African nations stretching across... Mauritania to the south, uh, Mauritania to the south of, Z of Nambia, with the intent of establishing naval facilities to base warships in both Atlantic and the Pacific. If set up, the first military base less than 10 miles from Camp Lemonier, uh, excuse me, the largest U.S. defense base in Africa, and until now is the only strategically located overseas military facility that hosted aircraft carriers. Uh, let's see, the, the Djiboutian, if I'm not saying it right, you say it. <laughs> it's spelled D-J-I-B-O-U-T-I, and then people at work live there, Djiboutian, okay? Uh, the president, uh, Ismail Omar Goulier, may have fallen victim to Beijing's debt trap diplomacy, the, the think tank story, and Townsend believes that the Chinese base in Djibouti um, is turning into a platform to project power across the continent and its waters. But China hasn't stopped. It's been persistently looking for other base, uh, basing opportunities around Africa for a strategic strong point for conducting anti-piracy operations in the Red Sea, the Gulf of Aden, and the vital and strategic 18 miles wide at its narrowest checkpoint, Babel Mendeb, or Gate of Tears, a strait between Yemen and the Arabian Peninsula, and Djibouti and Eritrea in the Horn of Africa. U.S., French, and Japanese military forces have scrambled to bolster their presence to guard the strategic route for oil, global oil, petroleum, natural gas shipment after China's establishment of naval bases in the East African nation of Djibouti in 2017, which the U.S. believes is intended to to grow military footprint. Okay. And there's a map here that shows uh, the Gulf of Aden, the Red Sea, the Persian Gulf, and the Suez Canal, all in this area. And um, where the, uh, the Chinese are building. Okay. Anyway. And there's a quote here. Their first overseas military base, their only one, is in Africa. And they have just expanded that by adding a significant pier that can support even their aircraft carriers in the future. AFRICOM's General Stephen Townsend had warned in an AP interview. 
He then cautioned around, around the continent today, the Chinese are looking for other basing opportunities. Most exports of petroleum and natural gas from the Persian Gulf that transit the Suez Canal or the Sumed pipeline pass through the, both the Babel Meneb uh, and the Strait of Hormuz, according to the U.S. Energy Information Administration. Uh, these sea lanes are extremely critical to global energy security, and at any maritime threat in the Bab Babel Mendeb Strait will divert the globe's tanker traffic for two-mile-wide channels around the tip of Africa, where now the Chinese have established their first naval base, Djibouti. Uh, geographic location is also pivotal for Beijing due to its close proximity to the key nations in both Africa and Asia. Uh, 950 million uh, U.S. dollars, uh, multi-purpose uh, Dorlay, uh, multi-purpose port, is only seven kilometers from Camp Lemonier, uh, adjacent to Djibouti International Free Trade Zone, and was set up on the pretense of ramping up so-called Chinese peacekeeping efforts, anti-piracy missions, and maintaining peace and stability in Africa. Subtitle, China Takes Belt and Road Project Route All the Way to Africa. While global analysts say China's military presence in Africa will step up security and intelligence expertise, it just goes to show how Beijing's military has strategically taken its belt and road project all the way to Africa in, in course of the United States military presence drawing down across the continent. And now China eyes on the Atlantic, China eyes on the Atlantic Ocean along with Africa's west coast to build a naval facility capable of hosting both submarines and aircraft carriers. This comes as Biden's pledge to maintain a strong U.S. military presence in the Indo-Pacific to counter the Chinese aggression, but the Chinese military is strategically expanding into Africa, South America, and the Middle East, um, outmaneuvering the U.S. and countries in countries in Africa, explains the U.S. AFRICOM General Townsend. Uh, okay, another quote. They're looking for a place where they can rearm and repair their warships that becomes military useful in conflict, Townsend reportedly explained to the AP interview. They're a long way towards establishing that in Djibouti. Now they're casting their gaze to the Atlantic Ocean, the Atlantic coast, and wanting to get such a base there. Okay, we're almost done with this article, folks. Um... Let's see, in Djibouti, in the Horn of Africa, China's military presence is constantly expanding. They have arms and munitions for sure. They have armored combat vehicles. We think they will soon be basing helicopters there to potentially include attack helicopters, says U.S. General Stephen Townsend. Last year, Chinese President Xi Jinping, sorry, that name just cracks me up, um, the Communist Party kicked off a week-long China-Africa Peace and Security Forum with Africa defense ministers and military chiefs to conduct a dialogue in cooperation, peace, and security funding in the Horn of Africa. In reality, China may only be expanding its military buildup on a much larger scale, as per Townsend's posture statement to the U.S. House Armed Services Committee. Port project uh, economic endeavors, infrastructure, and their agreement and contracts will lead to greater access in the future. They are hedging their bets and making big bets in Africa. He further warned in an interview. See what China's doing, folks, is they're, 
like in um, this one they're trying to build on the East Coast. It's um, it's in a little country, okay, a teeny tiny little country called Equatorial Guinea, and they've gone there already and they've built a big dam there, a hydroelectric dam for the um, the Guineans, I guess you'd call them, and uh, they've been funneling money in there, you know, food and everything else. What they're doing is they're bribing them, okay? They're bribing them big time in order to be able to, And then, you know, if anything, well, you know, we, we gave you a dam. We gave you this. Why aren't you cooperating? You know, you can only see it down the road happening if they don't cooperate. So anyway, China is working on putting bases all around the world, South America too. Um, there was some talk about them being up in Canada too. I'm going to write that down just in case I didn't put anything on there. We need to talk about that. Okay. Canada, Chinese. Okay. Um, but they're made, they're striking deals in Mexico and everything else. So, uh, they're trying to take the North and South from uh, Canada and Mexico and, uh, and make friends with them in order to be able to brace troops over there. And they have had troops in uh, in Canada. Trudeau allowed that to happen. Trudeau's a big um, fan of uh, communism, by the way, if you didn't know that already. But uh, he really is. So anyway, um, just think about this. If that they had carriers and battleships, well, not, nobody uses battleships, but cruisers and submarines on the East Coast. Man, it's just a hop, skip, and a jump to the East Coast of the United States. Canada, I mean, Africa's West Coast. Um, you know, within days, they can, maybe just two days, the way these ships travel anymore, you know, they could be off the coast of New York or, or Washington, D.C. Although they have so many of their agents working in Washington, D.C., I don't know why they would do that. Um, one of them's named Joe Biden. Okay. So... <laughs> Ah, look what I did. Oh, boy. Oh, folks, I can't believe I did this. Okay, well, I'm just going to have to do this from memory, okay? And I had tons of articles on here. Um, I can't believe this. Anyway, let's see. I'm going to do something here. Hold on a second. You watch how I met, I fixed my mess ups. Okay. I do believe that there's a history feature in here. Oh, look at that. It saves me again. Okay. This is great. I'm going to use this from now on, but I can't because hold on a second. Okay, let me do this. Let me go into here. And then go in here. And I can't do that. Oh, this is nice. Okay, let's do this again. Watch this, folks. I'm gonna I'm gonna work some good stuff here. YouTube history. All right, I wanted to watch this, so we're going to go ahead and pick this one. 
because this is very important. It's a very important one here. Okay, so let's do this. Copy, and then we'll go up to the tab that we're using. Paste. Bango. One piece of the puzzle. The other is gaining strategic depth strengthening defense partnerships, expanding your military footprint. And this is where India may have some catching up to do with China because China is on overdrive. It is projecting its power far beyond the mainland. How are they doing it? Through overseas military bases, China has three of them already, a support base in Djibouti, a signals intelligence facility in Myanmar, and a military base in eastern Tajikistan. Now they're adding a fourth one to the list. Another military base in Tajikistan, it's yet to be built, but the approval has been granted. The Tajik parliament has given its nod. They say they want a Chinese base to counter security threats from Afghanistan. Where will this base be built? Right on the border with Afghanistan at a remote village in the country's Gorno-Badakhshan province. This base would be owned by a Tajik defense group, but it will be built with Chinese funding. At what cost? $10 million to start with, plus all the tolls and trappings of Chinese money. What will this military base be used for? The exact purpose has not been declared. But Tajik lawmakers say it would carry out policing duties focused on combating organized crime. <laughs> it's also going to have a quote-unquote special equipment for the Interpol information system. And this special equipment, the system, will be installed by China. We do hope it works. In a separate development, the Tajik government has also offered full control of the pre-existing Chinese military base to Beijing. Now this base, the older base, is located near the Wakhan Corridor. The one that Okay, folks, let me cut in here for a minute. Remember we heard about quid pro quo when Trump was in office and how supposedly... Uh, he made deals and, you know, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. That's what quid pro quo basically means. Um, you do something for me, I'll do something for you. So China comes in and says, hey, I'm going to build you a brand new military base right here. Okay, and I do believe this is Afghanistan here. Or yeah, Anyway, I'm sorry. Well, it could be. Anyway, um, and... So they built the base or they're building it. And then the Chigastanis say, okay, well, since you did something nice for us, we're going to do something nice for you. We're just going to give you this base here. And I think this is China right here, this little uh, piece of land to the right of Shamak. And so, again, doing something nice here, they get this. The Chinese never do anything, never, ever do anything to help people without expecting something back. Don't ever forget that. If they ever invade this country and they say they're going to do something nice for you, watch out. They're kind of like, the, that's why when I laughed when they said that they're building this thing here to fight organized crime. Well, what they're doing is a mafia tactic. You know, I'm going to do this for you and, and then you do this for me. Okay. It's called favors. We do you a favor. I'm going to do you a favor, and then you can do me a favor. You know, kind of uh, Godfather kind of attitudes. And um, anyway, so 
that's what we got going on here, folks. Let's let's continue and see. They're going to mention something about it. Uh, you'll see. I'll that show. lies north of Pakistan-occupied Kashmir. Tajikistan has granted absolute autonomy to China for this military base. And that's not all. China will never have to pay a rent for this base. Tajikistan has also waived off any future rent for this facility. Why would they do such a thing? To get more military aid from China, apparently. At least that's what the Chinese embassy has been told. Well, rent or no rent, this development is very significant. China is building a new military base in Tajikistan and it has gained full control of another. What does it show? It shows China's growing clout in Central Asia, a region so far considered Russia's turf. Central Asia... Okay, before we go any further, because they're going to talk about China having strife with Russia or causing strife with Russia, but one has to remember that the Chinese and the Indians... Uh, the East Indians, that is, um, have not always been friends or still aren't probably because they have, they fight over these little chunks of land, okay? Uh, north of India, I believe it's Kashmir in that area, or to the right, I wish I had a map of India, but I don't. But um, anyway, uh, there's a little piece of land up there that Chinese and, and the uh, Indians have fought over for God, as long as I've been alive probably even longer, as long as India has been, a you know, a nation of its own and not under British control anymore. So um, the Chinese and the Indians are, are not best friends, okay? So this military base that's kind of just north of where India is is kind of a concern for them. So just a little bit of history for you. Let's go on. Asia is Moscow's playground. It was once an essential part of the Soviet Union. Countries like Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, Kyrgyzstan, Tajikistan, and Turkmenistan, they were all part of the USSR. Then the Soviet Union disintegrated. Okay, see, where, see this part right here, folks? This is India right here. Okay, see where it touches Tajikistan? And look where that base is. It's kind of like right where my um, cursor is. Boy, that's a beautiful convenient to go right down in India, wouldn't it? Okay. I, th I think that in the future um, that there's going to be a big problem with um, uh, with Chinese going down into India. Uh, man, that's just... I know that it's inhospitable right here because we're talking about the um, a very large mountain range here, very high mountain range. And it's in this area where, um, or maybe farther east, I can't remember, where the tallest mountain on earth is. Okay. Um, so those are very inhospitable mountains in uh, the Himalayas. And not something to joke around about. So uh, there probably are passes through there. I would, wouldn't doubt that there are passes through there, but they're only navigatable or navigable in the, uh, in the summertime, maybe the late spring summer and early fall before the snow start falling again so anyway the indians smell a rat and they've got one here you go moscow took the role of a security guarantor and that's how it's been for three decades but now china is changing the landscape it has made rapid inroads with military transport economic and political links china has a growing presence in every central asian country 
All of them receive military aid from China. All of them are part of the Belt and Road All Initiative of them. BRI. Oh. China is the largest trading partner of all five of these countries. Their collective bilateral trade touches $50 billion. If we talk about infrastructure, China has invested $40 billion in this region since 2014. $40 billion, 4-0. If we talk about security partnerships, China carries out military drills with all Central Asian states. Where does that leave Russia? It has a presence for sure, but its influence is waning. Let me give you just one parameter to drive home this point. In the 1990s, total bilateral trade stood at $110 billion. Russia and these countries, $110 billion. Today it stands at $18.6 billion. You see the drop? That is Russia's story in Central Asia. Gas exports from Russia, to Russia from this region have dropped 60% since 2009. Most of the Central Asian pipelines are now carrying reserves to China. Then we have China's Belt and Road Initiative, Xi Jinping's vanity project plus world domination plan. The BRI was conceived around the same time as another plan, another project. The Russia-led Eurasian Economic Union, EAEU. The BRI has left this Russian project far, far behind. Today, this Russian plan, the EAEU, has just five members. The BRI has more than 100. And Central Asian nations are an integral part of the Belt and Road. In June 2020, the Russian foreign minister even skipped a BRI conference. It was seen as Moscow's protest to China's BRI expansionism. Then we come to education. It's a soft power tool. It's very important. There was a time when parents in Central Asia sent their children to Moscow for higher education. Today, they send them to China. It has become an increasingly popular destination for colleges and universities. And I could give you many more examples, but you get the point. China is edging Russia out. China is winning the great game in Central Asia. Its gains may look small at the moment, but the geopolitical impact they will have would be profound. So Russia should be on alert if it isn't already. Vladimir Putin's ice cream buddy may leave him on thin ice in his own backyard. That might not be a bad idea. <laughs> um, anyway, folks, so you see that the, the Chinese are outmaneuvering the Russians. That's not going to make the Russians very happy. Now, let's look at the Russians and the, um, and the um, Chinese. The Chinese and the Russians have had a very weird relationship. Uh, when they were both communist countries, they shared that, okay? And they many times would share, in, like the Russians would would um, help them with their space program, or I should say the Soviets, um, would help them with food sometimes and, uh, and things like that. Uh, but still, they had a very rocky relationship because their forms of communism are so different. Uh, the, the Soviet Union was a uh, Marxist-Leninist state, and um, the China um, is, or was, in some aspects it still is, a um, Maoist government, okay? Although it's, it's, it's weird because they seem to be getting more of a um, capitalist air about them, but unless you're a communist, you can't take part in that, okay? And they, they do use slave labor. They use uh, Christians and other what they consider undesirables as um, as slave labor. And um, 
had some really weird stuff too. They used to have it where if a woman got pregnant, she had a boy, you kept the boy. If you had the girl, you killed the girl. So um, not a very delightful place to be in um, a, a government that is still looking very much like it did back in the 1940s or late 1940s and 1950s and even the 60s. Um, they have no problem killing each other. The government that is killing the people. So anyway, let's go back and look at something else. Okay. All right. Look at that one. Okay. This is another one I wanted to look at right here. And uh, I don't know. That's kind of a funky one. Uh, okay. That's not in English. I mean, if you were Portuguese, it would be real easy to understand. <laughs> uh, let's see. I think it was this one. Let's see. Okay. And then we're going to go and look at this. Oh, darn it. Okay. Hold on a sec. I got to do the copy and paste. Go here, there, get rid of that, here, here, here. And that's how you maneuver around YouTube. this because the people that are going to listen to this don't know what's going on because it's just music and writing so let us not one piece of the puzzle hold on let us not go there okay i gotta be sensitive um so what we're going to do is just going to skip that we're going to go will russia go to war with ukraine okay because that's another hot spot yes yeah, another hot spot okay Russia could be getting ready for war. It's amassed military equipment and combat-ready troops along its border with eastern Ukraine. So is Vladimir Putin about to invade? We saw a similar military build-up in April 2021. There's always been a military base here, but it is massively expanded in the last few weeks. From the satellite imagery, there are more than 500 military vehicles currently based here. From us just driving past, it would appear that there are even more. Tensions lessened after a summit between Joe Biden and Vladimir Putin. But Russia did not seem to pull back its troops as promised. We've seen this playbook before, in 2014, when Russia last invaded Ukraine. Russia seized the peninsula of Crimea from Ukraine in 2014, the first land grab in Europe since the Second World War, and fueled an ugly war in the Donbass region of eastern Ukraine between Russian-backed separatists and Ukrainian forces, a war which still ticks on, with 14,000 lives already lost. Russia has always claimed that it's not a party to that conflict and it refuses to engage with Ukraine's president, Volodymyr Zelensky, to try and resolve the issue. That's because for Vladimir Putin, the problem is not so much President Zelensky, but the Western powers which support him politically and militarily. 
При этом нужно учитывать, что The Kremlin is not just worried about the possibility of Ukraine being admitted to NATO, but also that NATO is already so involved in bolstering Ukraine. The US has provided Ukraine with more than $2.5 billion worth of military aid since 2014, including lethal weapons like Javelin anti-tank missiles. Britain has just signed a deal that will help Ukraine buy British warships and missiles. And Ukraine continues to partner with the US and other NATO countries in conducting training and military drills on its territory and in the Black Sea. It is only Ukraine and 30 NATO allies that decides when Ukraine is ready to join NATO. Russia has no veto, Russia has no say, and Russia has no right to establish a severe influence trying to control their neighbors. Vladimir Putin disagrees. In 2021, he wrote that Ukraine and Russia were one people, a single whole. But the Ukraine now is under the control of external forces who are intent on turning Ukraine into a barrier between Europe and Russia, a springboard against Russia. That's why he wants security guarantees from the US to stop NATO's eastward enlargement or the placing of missile defense systems near Russia's borders security guarantees that President Biden is unlikely to give. Will there be a war? By US estimates, Russia will be ready for a full-scale offensive by early 2022. And Russia's foreign minister, Sergei Lavrov, has given a pretty stark warning to the West. But war is certainly not inevitable. And if Russia did invade, it's hard to see what Vladimir Putin would hope to achieve. Full-scale invasion would be incredibly bloody, and keeping hold of territory where the people are largely hostile to Russia would be extremely difficult. Plus, there's Nord Stream 2, a gas pipeline that would bring Russian gas to Germany and other European countries that's complete, but waiting on regulatory approval. It's hard to see Europe giving that the go-ahead if Putin invades Ukraine. Plus, there's the threat of further and much tougher economic sanctions, though they have never stopped Russia before. Russia has just launched what it calls regular winter training drills in its southern military district in the region bordering eastern Ukraine and in Crimea. But military exercises can easily spill into the real thing. And whatever Putin's planning, even if he's not yet sure of the end game himself, his troops are well prepared. Okay. All right, folks, let's um, look at some history and stuff like that. Well, first of all, um, here we go. First of all, and thank you, Lord, that you told me that there was dead air on that, on that channel. Um, there's a, another thing that I wanted to show you that um, that I can't find right now. Um, but the, uh, the Japanese are really concerned about China. 
Um, and again, we, we have to go back to World War II at least and see what was happening back there. Uh, back then, the Japanese um, waged war on China and, uh, and committed a lot of atrocities in China. And that they also attacked some Russian interests, and Russia was at war with Japan, uh, mainly because they were our allies at the time, and because of that, they had to go to war with Japan. But um, the Japanese started it for the most part. Well, anyway, so you have you have bad blood there right now. Okay, uh, a lot of Chinese suffered under the Japanese, and and Russians and the Japanese never have gotten along. So you have that going. And you have the fact that after the war, because China was the aggressor in World War II in the Pacific, um, Japan it is, uh, Japan was um, stripped of all of its uh, military. They could no longer have a military. Um, and all their weapons were taken away for a period of time. And then after the US, the US finally established the Japanese government, um, and, and allowed the uh, emperor still to be the emperor, um, but kind of a de facto leader. Uh, they, they established more of a, more of an American form of government. And so the Japanese are really leery about the Chinese because payback's hell, like they say, right? And the Russians aren't too happy with the Japanese either, but in this particular instance, is the Chinese and the Japanese. Uh, the Chinese have tried to provoke Japan several times by firing missiles over Japan and into the Pacific Ocean, uh, supposedly just to test the missiles, okay? Um, and the Koreans have done that too, actually. But uh, the Chinese regularly fly sorties towards Japan, where many times they're rebuffed by Japanese fighters. And they are Japanese fighters. They're F-16s and F-15s and, and the like. And um, so Japan has something now. It's called the Defense Forces, okay? It's not uh, offense or supposed to be, but it's defense. And I've got a sneaking suspicion. I can't prove this, but just knowing the way our government works and, and all, that maybe the Japanese have more than they're letting on to. Okay, probably American weapons. But the nice thing about ha them having American weapons, if they ever were to go rogue, which I doubt that they ever would, I'll take these things off. If they ever were to go rogue, you know, all it takes is a flick of a switch. You know, I'm sure that all of our weapons have some kind of um, disabling device on them when we give them to these other countries. So anyway, so Japanese are kind of tense about this. And they've even come out. It said that they're going to go on a defensive posture and that they're going to, they're putting together a strike option. Okay. That should be concerning because that means the Japanese are planning on somehow either defending themselves or attacking the Japanese. I mean, the Chinese, the Japanese are planning on attacking the Chinese somehow. Again, it'll probably be in a defensive way, but Japan is not a country to mess with. Okay. Um, they almost took the United States down. And uh, had they done things in a different way, they might have done it. But um, it's it's interesting to see that, you know, the Chinese are starting to save a rattle now, too. And 
Um, and a lot of it has to do with Taiwan. Japan um, supports Taiwan, as do we. And, uh, and the Chinese don't like that. They want to take Taiwan away. They want to take it back to themselves. Kind of like the Russians want to take the Ukraine back. I thought it awful funny <laughs> that uh, Vladimir Putin said that, oh, yeah, well, we're one people, one nation, you know, or something like that. And, well, talk to anybody from Ukraine, and you're going to realize that that's not the truth. Not the truth whatsoever. That um, they hate the Russians, and it was even alluded to in that last video we watched. You know that uh, very few Ukrainians like the Russians and uh, and aren't going to put up with anything. So if the if the Russians did go in, they just wouldn't be fighting the Ukrainian army. They'd be fighting Ukrainians, who I'm sure have been armed by now. And uh, so anyway, it's this whole world is just falling apart. And the interesting thing about it is um, it talks in, in Scripture about the world coming to a part, a point where everybody's perplexed as to what to do and uh, bringing nations to perplexity, I think it was. And, and that's what's going on right now. When you think about it, who do you side with? You know, um, Trump was building a pretty good relationship with the Russians. Okay. Um, but the Europeans weren't. So the Europeans were mad at us. However, we're members of NATO as, as they are. And we're, so we're friends with the Europeans supposedly. So we're, they hate us and love us at the same time. Um, plus Trump was getting them to pay their fair share for NATO, um, which I'm sure they hated. And okay. So we got that. Then we got the Europeans that have always been weary of Russia because, and it's funny because it said, that there hasn't been a land grab since 19, since, since World War II. Well, that's wrong because, um, and, and when you know geopolitics, you realize what happened. But um, when the, the Iron Curtain went up, you know, became a real thing, um, there were countries, I think, oh, what was one of them? Hungary. Hungary didn't want to be part of the Soviet Union. They really didn't, and they rebelled, and and the and the um, the Russians went in there with a fury and killed a lot of Hungarians. I was back in the 1950s. I have a good friend Attila, who whose parents escaped uh, Hungary at that time. Um, oh, there's another country too, is it Yugoslavia, that rebelled, and the Russians went there and crushed that. So, in a way, that was a land grab because those people wanted to be sovereign, uh, to be you know. Um, to have a say in their own future and their own government. But the Russians went in there and put an end to that. So in essence, that was a land grab. Okay. Um, so, yeah, there have been land grabs. Sorry, but there have been. Um, anyway, I, just, I digress, but I just don't like it when there's inaccuracies in the news, which is every everywhere. But um, so um, let's see. There's... North Korea and South Korea. I'm suppressing my yawn. Uh, North Korea attacked South Korea in 1950. And we went to war over there and suppressed that. But uh, there's always been tensions. Uh, when Trump was in office, he actually got uh, King, Kim Jong-il, I think his name is, to talk with him. And they kind of hit it off. And they were trying to get things to, uh, worked out. Well, now Biden took office and you know, Kim said, screw that. I'm, 
you know, I don't trust this guy. His own, his own people don't trust him. I'm not going to trust him. So, um, and we had the whole Vietnam thing, and that was a land grab. The North grabbed the South, right? Uh, one would argue, well, they're all Vietnamese people, and they were just, it was a reunification. No, I'm sorry. The South wanted to be a democratic republic, and the North wanted to be a communist, uh, democratic, or democratic, democ- uh, com- communist uh, state. Sorry. Um, but so anyway, that went afoul. So, History has been, it's been building up and culminating into this, you know. So, again, we have the Chinese and the Japanese sparring with each other like they did 70 or 80 years ago. Uh, You've got the North Koreans, again, sparring against the South Koreans. All that work that Trump did was for nothing. So, um, sorry. Sorry, folks. So all this stuff is going on around the world, and it stinks, actually. But um, so what is this getting to, folks? What is it going to go to? Well, it's going to get to the point where there's so many wars going on that people are going to get tired of it, but there's not going to be a solution because nobody wants to end a war unless they win, right? And there's always a loser, and you can never get the loser to want to lose. The loser has to be totally devastated to lose. Okay, or to realize that they're going to lose a lot of people if they don't stop. Anyway, and having been said, somebody's going to have to come on the scene. Okay, I've got a feeling that when this whole Ezekiel, not Ezekiel, yeah, Ezekiel 38 and 39 scenario comes into view where Israel's attacked by, um, looks like the Russians. Um, the Turks, some elements of Eastern Europe. Sorry. And in in that area, that whole area that you're going to have little wars in there because everybody's going to be in a rye, you know. Um, The United States is going to be involved somehow if it's still, if we're still around. Um, So, you know, you're going to have all those nations warring against each other right there, against little Israel. And it's going to people like in Korea, um, the Chinese will probably do something at that time. Um, geez, the Russians will probably take over Ukraine at that time, although they're going to be involved in the Middle East. So I don't know if they'll do that. But every little wannabe dictator is going to feel for just a little while, maybe just a matter of days, that they can go and do whatever they want to do. Okay. And so it's going to be a free-for-all. It's not just going to be uh, those nations attacking Israel. It's going to be everything all around the world, okay? It's going to be drug cartels in Mexico and Colombia attacking the armies down there and the police. It's going to be it's going to be nuts, and the world's going to be, oh, what do we do? What do we do? Well, um, if you saw my description that I wrote, when I referred to the Antichrist, I referred to him as it, Okay, because my belief is that he's not going to be totally human. He's going to be an alien-human hybrid, okay? And we'll have to wait and see if that's true. But um, these people that are in the New Age say that the aliens are here to to help us. They're here to protect us and, and to save us from ourselves. 
And what would save us from ourselves better than during this whole thing that's going to be going on around the world, the whole thing. I don't want to do that, put myself to sleep. Um, when it appears that nothing can be done, there's no answer for anything that mankind is going to destroy himself, literally, that I know you're going to think, oh, here he goes again. Well, that maybe an armada or maybe just one UFO or what do they call them now? UA, UAPs, Unidentified Aerial Phenomena, which same difference. But anyway, um, comes down and lands wherever, maybe at the UN, on the UN building or something. And that this guy hops out and he's a hubrid. Uh, and if you don't know what Hubert is, read Dr. David Jacobs' books. He's really good about that stuff. Anyway, um, and he's going to have all the answers. And he's going to have a way to fix everything because he's going to have technology. And that technology is going to be akin to the same technology that the fallen angels fell or brought when they fell um, about the time of Jared. That's when the angels came down onto, onto the mountain and descended. And he's going to solve all the ills of the world. Now, a lot of Christians out there say, oh, well, you know, uh, he's going to make a pact with Israel. It doesn't say that, folks. It does not say that Israel will probably be part of the pact. But in Daniel, it says he will make a treaty or a pact with many. So he's going to make a pact with the whole world. Okay. And it's just going to be. You know, you all leave each other alone. You don't war anymore. I'm here. He's going to claim to be the Messiah. So he's going to say, I'm the Messiah. I'm the Buddha. I'm the seventh Imam or whatever. The twelfth Imam, whatever they're waiting for, the Muslims and um, and everything else. He's going to be the embodiment of all this. And he's going to come up with this lie that says, well, they were all the same person anyway. They were just me, you know, in different forms. And I've been reincarnated several times. And now I'm here. I've got... I've gone through all that stuff and, you know, I've, I've started 20 religions around the world and now I'm here to bring them all together and to bring you together. So that's, what's going to happen. You watch and wait and see whether we'll be here or not. I don't know. Speaking to the believers in Yeshua, um, I tend to think we will to, to see that first part of it at least. I kind of think we're going to be here till the middle and then we're going to be whisked out of here before his wrath comes down on mankind. And um, anyway, so that's kind of a synopsis of what all this world stuff is leading to. Um, since the year 2000, there's been an increase in earthquakes and Yeshua said that there would be an increase of earthquakes. And he said in various places, not just places where earthquakes normally occur, but in various places. And, Earthquake intensity has gone way up. Used to be you got a 7.0 every 20 years. Now it's like every other year there's a 7.0. And they're getting, one of them was like a 9.0. I can't remember where it was, but I remember reading that. And the one that happened in Japan, it said it was so bad that it rang the earth like a bell. Interesting. It makes you want to get into the hollow earth discussion. Because a, a bell is hollow and a bell will ring. A solid a solid piece of anything is not going to ring. It's going to thud. Anyway, so 
things are, are coming to a head. They really are. <clears throat> and <clears throat> I know that there's those of you out there that say, oh, well, you know, in every culture, every generation, there's been a time when they thought that this was the end, that, that Jesus was coming back or the end of the world was here and it never happened. Well, yeah, but there's so many things happening at the same time now. So many stinking things are happening at the same time that it seems inevitable that this is it. And you can be a doubter if you want. I was a doubter for a long time. Well, 20 years anyway. And uh, I doubted, but hey, it is what it is. So anyway, folks, I'm going to go ahead and get off of this. I'm going to try to get it uploaded to, uh, I've got plenty of time, to rumble and uh, and then do other things with it too, okay? So you all have a blessed uh this is Monday, and we'll be back tomorrow night, uh, me and Brian, 7 o'clock Pacific time. We'll be doing a live show on Twitch, and also now we're on um, Twitter. We're doing live on Twitter. So be there, be square. We'll see you tomorrow. And, uh, hey, if you don't make it, just download the show later on, right? Watch it or download it. Or if you want to listen to it on audio, go to Spreaker. Go to Delusion Resistance. And uh, <clears throat> I've got a copy of all the shows on there, audio and video, at least for the last two or three years. So, uh, well, last year, is, year and a half is what we've been doing the, uh, the video. Anyway, there's plenty of places to find it. If you don't find it on Amazon, well, you got to find it on um, Apple. And we're even on... Um, Oh, we're on a lot of stuff. Anyway, so folks, have a blessed night and a blessed day tomorrow. We'll see you tomorrow night if you choose to be there. Okay, well, I'm going to end this. Uh, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May he watch your going out and your coming in, your rising up and your lying down. <clears throat> may he give you peace and a peace that passes all understanding, like Yeshua said. In his holy name, we pray, Father. Amen and amen. Good night, folks.